What, beloved listeners, is the metaverse, I hear you ask, and you hear me ask as well, because I don't have the foggiest idea, but it's apparently worth $100 billion this very year. And my next best, Katrina Wallace, says it's in dire need of regulation. Katrina Wallace is the founder of a wonderful organisation, the Responsible Metaverse Alliance, and she joins us from, from Ballina. The first question I have to ask you is, do I need to buy one of those silly-looking goggles to access this thing? <laughs> yes, Philip, you do. So the Metaverse is accessed predominantly through augmented reality glasses and virtual reality glasses, but there are some metaverses such as Decentraland, Sandbox, Roblox that you can do on your desktop. But really when we're talking about metaverse, we're talking about using these goggles to access a virtual world. So it relies on a, on a network of 3D virtual worlds? Yes. So if we think about what the metaverse is, it is a construct or concept originally coined around 1999 by an author called Neil Stevenson in a book called Snow Crash, and he talked about this concept of a metaverse that was made up of virtual worlds. So when we talk about the metaverse today in, in business, we talk about an immersive simulated or virtual world. So there's, there's, not, there's one metaverse but multiple virtual worlds where people come to make social connections and they're normally doing that using virtual reality goggles. So there's VR, there's AR, there's MR, and I understand there's also haptics as well, so you can feel. Yes. So a haptic suit is a suit that you would wear along with your virtual reality goggles, and the haptic suit would allow you to feel whatever experience you are having in the metaverse. So example, so I put my goggles on a week ago, I went into virtual reality, I was in Canada walking around with the polar bears. So I just had the visuals of being in a 3D world with the polar bears. But if I had a haptic suit on, I'd be able to feel the cold, maybe feel the breath of a polar bear as it was coming near me, which might not be such a good thing to feel, but those sorts of um, sensations. So a useful way to think about the but the metaverse is that we as humans now have at least three worlds we can interact in. Yes, that's absolutely the message. So we have the physical world, which is just human to human, our normal um, world that we, we live in. The digital world, which is through um, social media and desktop um, smartphones. And now we have a virtual world. And the virtual world is accessed through these goggles. And the really important thing, uh, Philip, is that a lot of people don't realise this virtual world exists and is very real in my opinion. And they don't realise it because they're not in the goggles accessing that world. Well, take me back to your wandering around Canada having, you know, I hope maintaining a, a safe distance from polar <laughs> bears. How plausible is it? How convincing? Extremely convincing. So, I mean, you obviously know that you're not there walking on the snow, but it is, um, we have a concept of in the metaverse that we call immersion and presence. And immersion is, it's so immersive, it feels like you are almost there. 
And the presence is you have a sense of presence that I am here and the polar bear is not too far away from me. Or if I'm interacting with people, I am here and that that avatar is very close to me. It's very strange to a technophobe like myself because it seems to me that people are running away from the real, real world and embracing, well, parallel universes. Well, I think there is some truth in that, but I don't necessarily think that everyone who's going... So at the moment there's around just under half a billion monthly users or or participants in the metaverse. I don't think they're all trying to escape the physical world, although I think there probably are some. Think of it as an extension of reality that's actually an incredibly fabulous experience where you can do so much more than you could do just in this physical world. Katrina, how does, well, you've pointed out it already exists. It's already big. And there are online worlds where people play games and muck around with uh, cryptocurrencies, but it's unregulated. Yes. So this is my gravest fear and probably the fear of most of the big metaverse thinkers and philosophers who are um, commenting on this globally. So let's think about this. These are new virtual worlds owned by the tech giants. So Meta, who used to be Facebook, Microsoft, uh, we expect Apple to come out with their augmented and virtual reality offering in the next 12 months, Fortnite Games, uh, Sandbox, Decentraland. So these organisations creating these virtual worlds with no government, no rules, no laws, and their models will be based on engaging humans or participants in order to probably sell them something, very very similar to the models of social media and Web 2.0. But this time it's completely unregulated. What prompted uh, Zuckerberg to rename Facebook Meta? Yes. So he understands that the metaverse is probably going to be bigger than even when the internet came and he's seen it ahead of time because he owns Oculus. So Oculus is the headset manufacturer for virtual reality goggles and, and they provide 80% of most of the headsets now that are used in the metaverse. And so he has seen that this is coming, it's coming quickly. And so he's putting on $10 billion is what he announced he would invest in putting on 10,000 workers in Europe to build his company Meta, their virtual world, which is called Horizon World. Is there a risk of the uh, metaverse being dominated by an oligopoly? So there is definitely, there will be a race to who has the dominant virtual world in the metaverse. And companies that are in that race at the moment would include Meta, obviously, Microsoft, but Microsoft are coming at it more from a business lens, Uh, Samsung, Apple will be in there eventually, Epic Games, and there's probably 160 virtual worlds that I'm aware of at the moment. So some small, some will be larger. But if we follow Meta's, so Zuckerberg's Meta, I think this is going to be their main play for the next 10 years. 
And that to me, Philip, is extremely disturbing given the history of a company like Meta. Katrina, online privacy has been in the news a lot lately with the massive hacks of, well, of Optus and Medibank and lots of concerns about data harvesting from social media companies. Are there greater privacy risks in the metaverse than there are with our digital lives already? Yes, and I'm working very closely with Julie Inman-Grant, the eSafety Commissioner, and also Lorraine Finlay, the Human Rights Commissioner, Minister Victor Dominello, who is Minister for Digital and Customer Service for New South Wales, as part of the Responsible Metaverse Alliance in looking at what are these privacy risks and and why are they going to be so much worse than we're seeing in, in social media and web 2.0. And the reason for that is the goggles and equipment that you use in the metaverse have a lot more ability to be measuring signals and signs about you as an individual. So the new goggles that were just released last week by Meta now can track your eye movements, can track, I think it's your temperature, and they can track your emotions, whether you you are gazing at something for a bit longer, whether your eye moves on something. And so they will get to know not only our behaviours as in what we choose or like or recommend, but our emotional responses to certain stimuli. So that gives them enormous power of coercion, manipulation. Now, on one level, I find this all a bit exhilarating. I'd rather love at my advanced age to be able to travel the world and uh, mm-hmm. revisit places I loved and go to places I've never been. I'd like to wander through art galleries. And you know, there's a whole lot of applications which would even, I think, be good in um, in tackling climate change. You know, virtual reality is obviously less polluting than, the, than reality reality, but I'm terrified by the implications of what you're describing. And what about the financial concerns, money laundering, cryptocurrency scams? Yes. So the very interesting part of the metaverse is that it doesn't always operate on our usual financial model, which is cash or, or credit card or debit card. So most of the metaverse virtual worlds are based on a financial model that includes cryptocurrencies, NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, which are the are digital assets, and all sitting on the blockchain. And, and there's hundreds of millions of billions of dollars now going through uh, crypto exchanges that are may or may not be related to the metaverse. But there are significant financial risks, financial scams that go on in the metaverse because, of course, Philip, the concept of identity is very loose in the metaverse. You can present as an avatar and you yourself, Philip, could present as a young woman if you chose to. I could present as an older man or as a, a younger woman. There's nobody saying who your identity needs to be and your identity isn't tagged to anything in the digital or the physical world. And that's a huge concern. I understand that people are buying real estate in the metaverse. Yes. So in 2021, there was 
in US dollars, half a billion dollars worth of virtual property sold in the metaverse. And by the end of 2022, it's expected to be a billion US dollars worth of virtual real estate sold. But how can you own a virtual space and why would you want to? (laughs) Yes, so you can quite easily own it or even rent it, very similar to the way that you would buy a real estate, a block of land in the physical world, except the difference in the virtual world is that there's no scarcity. So uh, two of the main virtual real estate providers are Sandbox and Decentraland, and and you and it looks like a still a bit cartoonish, but it looks like a just a, a normal uh, land and streetscape, and you can choose a block of land, virtual land, and buy it. Now the great thing for Sandbox and Decentraland is they never run out of land because, of course, it's virtual, so they can keep building and building and building land. So the concept of scarcity is something that the metaverse tries to remove. And so people who perhaps could never own physical land or even have a a strong digital presence can go and buy reasonably affordably a virtual block of land and then buy a virtual home. Now, my uh, one of my stepsons, um, Jaden Rubenstein, owns a company called Estates.io, which builds virtual homes to put on virtual property. And those virtual homes can be somewhere between $25 to $250 to buy a full virtual home that you can put your goggles on and go and live on on your virtual land. Heavens above. Now, there's also a potential risk, I assume, for uh, for there to be, as there is a dark web, a place for right, ultra-right extremist, terrorist, criminal syndicates to uh, congregate in. Yes, this is a big concern. And I have been working with the uh, a number of the police commis- uh, assistant commissioners in Australia, also New Zealand, been talking to the Department of Home Affairs, Internal Affairs here in Australia and in New Zealand, and particularly uh, Christchurch Call in New Zealand, uh, which was set up after the Christchurch massacre. The leading executives there are all deeply concerned that the metaverse now provides another place where perhaps terrorist groups or extremist groups who have been banned in using social media or banned in doing things physically can now reorganise in the metaverse. And so that's of significant concern. So we've got very good activity in Australia, very good interest from Crime Stoppers, the Police, Department of Internal Affairs, um, Human Rights Commissioner, um, in, in starting to have Australia lead conversations about how do we police and and minimise the chance of terrorism in the metaverse. We've uh, seen the mighty, the sort of the godlike tycoons, and I'm thinking of uh, the gentleman who's just stuffed up his purchase of of Twitter making mistakes. And I wonder Mm. whether perhaps Zuckerberg has put himself in that category. I learned from you that he's pumped more than 36 billion into his metaverse venture since, well, 2019, which has resulted in a $30.7 billion operating loss. Mm. I still think he's probably on the right. I think it's a well-thought-out bet 
and I think he will do everything in his power to win the you know the predominant player in the metaverse so and look I think Philip this we predict within the next three to five years the way we are do the way we live our lives will have a strong metaverse uh, flavor so for example how you and I are talking now we would probably do it by speaking in a virtual interview room so I do think it's coming I think it's very real and I think it's probably a reasonable bet that Zuckerberg has made. Whether he comes out the dominant one or not is yet to see. Uh, I'm pretty nervous that it, it might be him. I would prefer it not, but we'll, we'll see. And are the other players, are the Chinese looking at it? Yes. So we've got very strong leadership coming out of South Korea in particular. So the South Korean government has a whole metaverse strategy and they have something called a metaverse alliance where they have 500 organisations, I think, sponsored by Samsung, who are all signed up to help build South Korea's metaverse. Dubai has actually uh, formally announced that they're putting $4 billion into building Dubai's metaverse. They want to put on 40,000 jobs in the next few years and they want to become one of the top 10 metaverse economies. So we're seeing really significant leadership out of other parts of the region, yes. I think you're an extraordinary guest and uh, I'm sitting here reeling at the possibilities. Thanks for that, uh, Katrina Wallace. Katrina is founder of the Responsible Metaverse Alliance and you heard her on a little program called Late Night Live. Thanks, Katrina. Thanks, Philip. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.